0: I believe that uh, when we walk in intimacy with the Lord, our whole life changes. Your past, your present, your addictions, your struggles, the things that people have done to you, the way people have abandoned you or labeled you, the things that you have partnered with in your heart and mind, I don't care what they are. Only He has the authority to tell you who you are. We have to ask Holy Spirit to download His heart's To our heart, we have to be people who raise their hands and say, I'm here, this is my city, this is my region, it's not somebody else's problem. We've been in the midst of this series for a few weeks and I want to encourage you to go back if you haven't had a chance to on our webpage Drew taught and Kim both taught powerful messages on Emmanuel, God, what it means to have a God who is with us. And it's simply, I don't want to say they're, they're only Christmas messages, and, but I want to challenge you to go and listen to them because what Holy Spirit was releasing through those times and through those teachings was, was so powerful. And so I'm going to continue that series in just a minute and, and share for, for a few minutes before we head on into Christmas. and. All the different things that I'm sure are on your schedule, some of which I hope is eating a lot of food and and taking naps and doing things, uh, of slowing down. And, and I, I can only imagine the pace that some of us, many of us, most of us have been running at to get to this day. Um, and I want to say good is your reward. Now you get to eat and sleep <laughs> and celebrate and give gifts and remember Jesus. And so um, here's what we're going to do right now. In a few minutes, we're going to take communion, or not communion, we're going to take offering. It's uh, different. And uh, (laughs) we do this, and I know a lot of you are visiting with us today, and we do this together as a family. And if you're a visitor with us, you're not under any obligation to give. We, We believe that this is an opportunity for us to move in generosity and to give freely as we have received freely. This is an act of worship and um and this is such a generous house it's been powerful to watch the different ways that this family has always been and is continuing to explore Um, what it looks like to be generous and we want to say thank you I know that uh, we are taking some of you are taking some families at the at the women's shelter gifts and meals and that's simply out of the generosity of of friends reaching out to other friends and people saying yes that we're able to bless them and many of you have given to Jesse and what he's going to be doing tomorrow morning right over in that building to to um to give out coffee and, and gifts and, and different things to, to people that we love in the city. And um, and so you, you, we couldn't do that without us and as a family walking and living in generosity. And I love the generosity of this house, and I love that we aren't doing it because somebody up front told you that you had to give a percentage of your income, otherwise you're going to be in trouble with God, or you're going to be under a curse, or your, your, your shed's going to burn down, or your car's going to break down, or whatever... Whatever that lie is, that, that Old Testament law that people try to drag each other unto, into, we, are, we have freedom. And we are not twisting people's arms to give. And I think because of that, it allows us even to operate in more supernatural generosity where what we are giving to Jesus, he is blessing it, multiplying it, and using it in powerful ways to, to expand the gospel and his kingdom in this city. And so we're going we're gonna to do that in a second. Um, junior hires, you are welcome to go. If you are in junior high, 6th, 7th, 8th grade, Eddie and Tiff are back there. They got you. They're going to hang out with you and uh, give you some donuts and some, some life lessons. Nothing helps a life lesson like a donut. Yeah. In fact, I got all of you donuts so that you would listen better. Uh, that's, that's a lie. Um, I'm sorry. <clears throat> Lying from the front It's terrible. I want to remind you as we leave today that uh, if you haven't had a chance to, that Danny, who's on our team, is our storyteller, that Danny will be out there taking family photos of you. If you want to get a Christmas photo, go ahead and just sign up. Take a picture and he'll send it to you guys. We also want to say if you're a visitor with us or if you're new with us that there are Connect cards under the chairs in front of you. We would love for you to fill one of those out. Drop it in the offering. Drop it in one of these black boxes in the back which is where you can always drop off your offering or any Connect cards as well or you can take it to the Welcome Center. And in there is a prayer request card. We love to pray with you guys throughout the week for miracles and what God was wanting to do. But please remember they are also testimony cards. We want you to fill out the things that God is doing so that we get to hear the good report as well as the prayer request we want to hear the good report so if you would grab one of those and and fill it out drop it in one of those black boxes we'll be praying with you this week and and uh, and and believing for a miracle we'd love to hear what God is doing in and through and around your life all right we're going to start today in Luke chapter 2 and uh, as you turn there let me pray and the offering is going to come through Whenever we take offering, God, I think about the fish and loaves, the feeding of the 5,000, such a powerful, powerful reality that you took little and you received it, you blessed it, you broke it. And you gave it out and you multiplied it for your purposes. And so as we give today, we give into your kingdom. We give knowing that your gospel is going out. We give believing that through the generosity of this house, the prodigals are coming home. That people are coming to know you, Jesus Christ, as our Lord and Savior. That marriages and lives and bodies and minds and hearts are being restored and set right by the power of Jesus Christ. And so we give into you and into your kingdom, believing that you would take whatever we have, whatever we give. And you would bless it and you would multiply it and you would use it for your purposes in this city and in this region in Jesus name we pray amen amen so i want to begin as we're celebrating christmas in a classic scripture Luke chapter 2 10 and 11 the de- the declaration of the messiah but the angel said to them do not be afraid if you're not afraid to write in your bible go ahead and circle that because we're going to come back to that sort of our theme do not be afraid For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. All people. Every everyone. Today in the city of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This was the announcement of the arrival of Jesus Christ. This is the Father's perfect love, the Father's perfect acceptance, His forgiveness in human form. Saving us from sin, saving us from death, saving us from the works of the devil, as 1 John 3, 8 says. Jesus' birth as a baby boy was God in the flesh. This free gift that we are celebrating, that we are able to receive into our hearts and our lives and allow it to come out of our hearts and lives in this season and throughout our lives. One of my favorite teachers, talking about Jesus and talking about the revelation of Christ, says this. Jesus is not part of what the Father has to say, or even the main thing that the Father has to say. Jesus is not part of what the Father has to say, or even the main thing that the Father has to say. As the one and only Word of God that we see in John 1.1, Jesus is the total content of the Father's revelation to us. The revelation of God in his Son should never be regarded as one revelation among others. He is rather the revelation that culminates and surpasses all previous revelations it is through Jesus Christ that we see God saying I am a good father and I want you to know who I am so I am going to come to you in a way that you can see me and realize who I am this is the full revelation of of who I am if you want to know what God is like look at Jesus if you want to know how God responds to sinners look at Jesus If you want to see how God moves in power, look at Jesus. If you want to see what happens when God shows up in a broken life, look at Jesus. He is the complete and perfect revelation of the Father. And that is why Jesus came to show us The father, a father that we thought was far above us, a father that we thought we couldn't approach, a father that we were afraid of. And that's why I think it's so powerful that that declaration in Luke said, do not be afraid. Don't start with fear. I have good news for you, and it is for every single person. In the history of the earth, this is good news. See, there was a time when we believed that God was unapproachable. And there was a point in human history where we made a catastrophic mistake. And it is in Exodus 19 and 20. I'm going to spend a little bit of time teaching you guys from, this, from these verses. Because every good Christmas sermon, I'm told, should have lots of passages from Exodus. Um, <laughs> so we're going to do this. And what happened in this, in this story that I'm going to talk to you guys about is the Israelites were in Egypt. And as they were in Egypt, they became a slave class. And they existed in Egypt within the culture of the Egyptians for 430 years. And for 430 years, they called out to God for a deliverer and to be delivered from from that place of slavery. And God heard them, and he sent Moses. Now, some of you think God is taking a long time to answer your prayers right now. Some of you are concerned that God isn't moving fast enough to do the things that you need to do and see him do. And he's not willing to prove himself to you right in this moment. Therefore, he has failed you or forgotten you. I am here to tell you that God has not failed you. He has not forgotten you. Do not be surprised when the delay that you believe you are seeing in your life is absolutely a setup for an opportunity for God to move powerfully in you and through you. And most often... It is because he wants you to be positioned to receive the miracle that you are calling out for, to be positioned for the greatest display of his goodness and love and power to more people around you. 430 years they waited and cried out to God, and Moses came. And God used Moses to deliver them. And as they came out of this, they had a slave mindset because they'd been slaves for 430 years. They'd been around a culture worshiping Egyptian gods, and every single one of those Egyptian gods had just been defeated by God hand-to-hand combat. Maybe that's a little bit of an exaggeration. But they had seen miracle after miracle confronting each one of Egypt's gods. And they brought and, and Moses and God led them out into the wilderness, and it became this moment in time where God wanted to reintroduce himself to the Israelites, his chosen people, and say, you have forgotten who I am, but I want you to know who I am. And so God decided that he would bring the Israelites out to Mount Sinai, and he would display for them his glory, his power, and his splendor. Problem is, is that he scared them to death. He wanted to say, I am your God and you are my people. Let me show you how powerful I am and fire and thunder and lightning. And they all went, uh, we are, we are slaves. We're not used to a personal God. We're not used to a God who shows up in power and wonder and miracles. We want a God that we can put on our mantle and we can sacrifice to and we can burn some incense to. And it stays on the mantle and we can go throughout our day. This is the grid that we have to understand what's happening here. And they looked at a God who was showing himself in power and it scared them to death. Which is why it's so profound that the angel would come and say, don't be afraid. Because God is coming, and it is good news for every single one of us. 19, Exodus 19. Moses went up to God, and the Lord called him. This is on the mountain, and he said this. This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. So they're coming out of slavery. God has a message for them. He has not only a message for them, he has an invitation for them. And he said, you yourselves have seen <clears throat> Sorry, you yourselves have seen that what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Genesis 12 and 14, this is the reaffirmation of the covenant that he made with Abraham. And you see it in there, that this, out of all the nations, you would be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, God goes on to say, you will be for me a kingdom of priests. Underline that, again, if you're okay writing in your Bibles, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. I want to come back to that as well in a minute. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So he wanted Moses to tell them, I'm inviting you to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Set apart for me my chosen possession." He didn't want them to live in a way where they had some priests who were the intermediaries for the people. He was inviting the entire nation to be priests, that they would be a nation of intermediaries for all of the other nations, that every single one of them would have this same type of relationship with God that Moses had, where it said Moses would talk to God face-to-face as if they were friends. This is what God was inviting the Israelites into. So to invite them, he thought he would throw a little firework party. This invitation of intimacy, to be face-to-face with him. So God displays his greatness. On the morning of the third day, God said, consecrate yourselves, and then you're going to come up here, and I'm going to talk to you. You're going to come to the mountain, and I'm going to speak to you. And on the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning and a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Nothing scary as a trumpet blast. Um, Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. When the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him with thunder. They were obviously scared to death. Slaves... As I said, slaves with no grid for this personal relationship and the reality of a God who was this present. Exodus 20, 18. When the people saw the thunder and the lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance. Underline it, circle it. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen. But do not have God speak to us, Or we will die. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. He wanted to arrive in their life with so much presence that they wouldn't sin. There would be so much purity from the presence of God that they wouldn't sin. And instead, they said, we don't want that. We want you to talk to him. And we don't want to have this experience with a personal God that would keep us from sinning. How about you give us the rules, and we'll simply try to follow all of the rules. Verse 21, the people remained at a distance. Underline it. While Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. So in a nutshell, as you guys are already beginning to see... God brought his people out of slavery, and he brought them to be a holy nation set apart for him, a priesthood that he would use as intermediaries between himself and the entire, all the other nations. And he was inviting them into a place of intimacy, Exodus 33, as Moses had, face-to-face with God, talking to them as if they were friends. And he invited them up, but in his display of his splendor and his power, they freaked out. And they said, we don't want to talk to God. If we talk to God, we will die. Now, this is a lie. If you want to do contextual study on this, which I challenge you to do, Deuteronomy 5 is a, is a parallel to this story, and it shows you everything else that was taking place so that this story begins to make a lot more sense. And Moses said, and they, the people in this story, they admitted, we heard God speak, and we didn't die. Yet they still believed that God was so far above them that he was unapproachable. And even though he was a God who would bring them out miraculously, he was a God who would bring them up to meet with them. They said, no, we don't want that. We are scared to death. And they stayed at a distance. Fear always causes us to stay at a distance and to hold back. And they, and they did something in that moment that turned human history. And they said, instead of having a relationship with you, we want law. And through this interaction with God, they ended up walking away from that Mount Sinai experience with the law as opposed to being a nation of priests who were face-to-face with God. And they walked under that covenant and they labored under that covenant to the point that Jesus came to break, to fulfill, and to end that law and to bring us a new law. His law is love. And this powerful transaction that was taking place, but they weren't willing. And so they said, instead of us, Why don't we send Moses as our go-between? You ever done something really stupid? Maybe you were in college. (laughs) And you and your buddies are standing there, and you're thinking about doing something really stupid, and you go, I don't know if I want to do this. Yeah. Where's Johnny? He'll do it. (laughs) Hey, man, you go. You try it. This is a little bit what I imagine the Israelites like, smoke and, and fire and lightning and thunder. And they're like, Ooh, we don't want to go up there. Where's Moses? Moses, you go up there. <laughs> but they had that slave mindset that wasn't true, that, our, that gods are not approachable. And if, I, if we talk to God, that surely we'll die. And so they were willing to exchange relationship for somebody going in their place. And they, in that way, they put someone between themselves and God. And that was Moses. And in that same way, they received rules as opposed to that that reality of his presence that would cause them to walk in purity. And that's the, the law that they came away with from this interaction. And I see this still today. Whenever we're afraid of God, whenever we don't have a true revelation of the goodness of the Father, when we think that he is here to punish us, he hates us, he has turned his back on us, he has failed us, he has forgotten us. When we look at our earthly fathers or the brokenness around us and we begin to equate what we see on earth to the the father above or we begin to listen to theologies that are sin, theologies and doctrine that are so sin focused and performance focused that we believe that all God does is he follows us around waiting for us to fail so that he can show us how disappointed he is in us. And that he's always a God that wants to punish us. We begin to live in fear of God. And as we begin to live in fear of God, we remain at a distance from God. And even though he would invite us into a personal relationship, we say, no, I don't want a personal relationship. We look to our wife and say, how about you go? You be the spiritual one in the family. Or we look to religion that's full of rules and we say, I don't know if I can accept this grace and mercy that it is, that's extended to me infinitely. I need to perform to earn it. God's like, I have something free that I want to give you. Forgiveness. Great, thank you. What should I do to perform so that I can earn this? Give me the rules that I must follow. And we begin to labor under a dead religion that we call Christianity. And instead of reflecting Christ, it looks like somebody trying to follow a whole bunch of do's and don'ts. And we end up less free and in more bondage. We're doing the same things that the Israelites did when they had that encounter with God. I don't want to go. You go. We put someone else in our place. It doesn't have to be our wife or our husband. It can be a pastor. It uh, it It can be anything. But it's that reality that says, I don't think I can have a personal relationship with God, but it's okay because this person that I'm with will tell me what I'm supposed to do or will tell me about God. I don't want my job in your life to be telling you about God and about the encounters that I'm having and the things that God is doing amazing in my life. I want my job in your life to be spurring you on to realize that God is real and wants to meet with you and wants to be personal to you and wants to set you free and set you right and that everything that you see in in everyone else around you, everything that you see in the word is available to you through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I am not your middleman. No one else is your middleman. That's the lie that they believed on that mountain, and that's the lie that they continued to believe, but God wasn't settled in being put aside and saying, you are a God who's too far above, so we'll simply follow these rules. We'll carry around this sweet ark that has the rules inside it. We'll build this tabernacle wherever we go. It'll be great. We'll have all this different stuff, and we'll follow all of these things, and God said, fine. If that's what you need right now, because you're coming at me with a slave mindset, if that's what you need right now and for this season, I will... I will interact with you through those things. But that wasn't his heart. His heart was inviting them to personal priesthood, a holy nation set apart. And so he said, there's going to be a moment, there's going to be a place in time when I can show up and all of that old stuff, all of the tra- and thing, trapments and things that you're putting on there, all of that stuff is going to be broken away and you're going to see me for who I am. But the only way he could do that is to come in a way where we wouldn't be afraid. And what are we least afraid of? Babies. (laughs) Unless you're newlyweds and you have no idea what you're doing. (laughs) Babies scare you to death. (laughs) But he came as a child. And the miracle of this is that he approached us in a way that we could receive him. God didn't settle for this distanced relationship. He didn't settle for a priesthood between himself and his people. He didn't settle for us following rules and following commandments and doing all of the stuff. He came to reintroduce himself to us, a God with us who could be touched and felt and heard. I want to take you to another mountain, and this time this mountain is in the New Testament, Matthew 17. Turn over there if you have a moment. This is a is a very similar, a parallel experience to Mount Sinai, and I want you to see this. Jesus is hanging out with some of his disciples, and he takes them up on this mountain. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, and the brother and, uh, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. Just then appeared there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. He's, he's maybe trying to convince himself. He's watching Jesus be transfigured, and light and power emanating from him, and then people are appearing out of nowhere. He's like, is it, it's good for us to be here, right? Is this Jesus? Is it good for us to be here? It's good for us to be here. Guys, this is so good. It's so good. (laughs) And he comes up with this idea. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, if you're ever wondering whether God is is pleased with your ideas, if he interrupts you, If I'm ever telling a story and said, man, yeah, Danny was telling me he's had this great idea from God. And then while he was talking, God said, no, this is a terrible idea. While he was still speaking... (laughs) a bright cloud covered them and a voice from the cloud said this is my son whom I love with him I am well pleased do you recognize that line where else did he speak that over him when he was baptized and he came up out of the water and the Holy Spirit descended on him this is my son whom I love with him I'm well pleased but he added something listen to him open your ears to what he's about to say to you and when the disciples heard this they fell face down to the ground and they were terrified don't be afraid Don't remain at a distance. Don't build a church for me and say, a house for me and say, that's where God's going to dwell. And we're going to stay out here because we don't know what the heck's going on in there. We'll build one for Moses. We'll build one for Elijah. We'll build one for you, Jesus. You guys stay in there. We'll be out here. And when we want to, we'll come visit you. They wanted to compartmentalize their life. How many of us do that? I go to church to meet with God. And I stay over here for my stuff and my life. But I, I have this safe distance that I've built into my life through compartments. And my yes only goes so far. Yet Jesus' yes was absolute and complete to come and give himself fully to us. That we would know the Father. That he's a good Father who loves us and gave himself for us. How, how, my yes simply should be that large. It should break through all of those compartments and all of those places where I want to distance myself through fear. And say I will build you a little... I'll build you a little space in my life. It'll be nice, Jesus. I'll give you like two-thirds of my life. You can have that corner and that space over here. That's yours, and this is mine over here. Because we need that distance and that safety and that control. But God is saying, I want to show up completely, and that's why God interrupted him. He said, this is my son whom I love with him. I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. And this is what he said. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. This is Emmanuel. This is God with us. This is God who touches us, who comes into that place of fear, where we want to draw back, where we want to remain Separate, Where we want to say, oh, maybe you can have this part. Or let's send somebody in our place. Let's listen to somebody else tell us how to have a relationship with God, how to connect with God. Let's have some rules that we can follow. And Jesus reaches through all of that and he says, don't be afraid. I'm with you in this place. And that's changed everything and it shifted everything. There was still thunder and lightning and smoke and all of those things. And there were people cowering in terror. But unlike that Old Testament story, God was able to reach out and physically touch his disciples and tell them not to be afraid. Jesus came to reaffirm the invitation that he gave to us and that we rejected in Exodus 19. 1 Peter 2.9, you'll recognize this from Exodus. 1 Peter 2.9 says, speaking of people who believe in Jesus and follow Jesus with all of their heart, he said, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, A holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Jesus reaffirmed that invitation that we rejected on Mount Sinai to be his chosen people, a holy nation, a royal priesthood. And that we get to say yes to it because we're not living in fear because we've experienced Jesus. Emmanuel, he came to show us who he is and what he's like and we realize that he is not to be feared because he comes in love. and He comes in power. And yes, there's still thunder and lightning and smoke and all of those things that terrify us because he is still God. And yet he is a God who has put on flesh that he would be able to lay his hand on our shoulder. Or reach into those places and those moments in our lives and say, I'm with you. I'm with you. Don't be afraid. Here's the thing about God. it's never. He's, he's a God of never enough. See, he had more that he wanted to do besides simply showing up and saying, I'm Emmanuel, God with you. He wants to do more. And this is what he wants to do to us and through us and for us on this Christmas and every day of our lives is that he doesn't, he's not content to simply be a God who is far above us. He's not content to be Emmanuel, only God with us. He wants to be God within us. The invitation extends all the way to coming and living inside of us. Galatians 2.20, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I have been crucified with Christ. I don't live anymore. Christ lives in me. He went from Emmanuel with me to a spirit-filled believer who says it is God himself who now lives in me. As I have died to myself and come alive in Christ, it is him who has filled me. He didn't come to pull us out of this life. He came to fill us up with himself and send us out. He came to empower us, not to rescue us, And now we get to carry that gift of Christmas, that gift of Christ, everywhere that we go. He wants to be Emmanuel to us so that he can then be Emmanuel through us. God with us, God within us, and now everywhere that you go, you walk out of this room, every place that you go, God with us, God with them through you. He is Emmanuel, but it's not enough to be Emmanuel for you. He wants to be Emmanuel through you. Through you, everyone that you touch, every relationship that you have, every house that you find yourself in, every fractured and fragmented relationship that you're going to be having to deal with this Christmas that makes you want to bang your head against the wall, broken people that you want to walk by and drive by and and dismiss, this is who he wants to be, Emmanuel. I was Emmanuel for you, and now that I'm alive in you, I get to be Emmanuel through you. 1 Corinthians twelve twenty seven. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. Paul's language here about the body of Christ is not simply a metaphor. This is a statement of absolute fact. When you touch people's lives, When you move in the fullness of God in you, you are the body. You are the tangible presence of Christ. You are the one that steps into those places where people are scared to death of God. And you get to put your hands on them as Jesus did for his disciples and says, Do not be afraid of God anymore. He is real. He is here. He is reconciled to you, and he loves you, and he forgives you, and he restores you. You get to carry that tangibly in you, through you. You are the body of Christ. John 7, 3, 8. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. I love this passage of scripture because that parenthetical there is not me putting that in there. That's in there. In case anybody missed what this was talking about. When he's like, whoever believes in me, as scripture said, rivers of living water will flow from within me. The author was writing this down was like, I don't know if everybody's going to understand what that was. Let me just write it in there for them. By this he meant the spirit whom those who believe in him were later to receive. When Jesus was glorified. And when his physical body returned to glory, the Holy Spirit came and filled believers so that we get to be this very thing. That rivers of living water would flow out of our lives. It's interesting that we uh, are so concerned often in churches with whether or not you've raised your hand and prayed a sinner's prayer, whether you're saved or not. As if that's some sort of test that says, oh, that one time I raised my hand and I repeated that prayer. That means that I'm saved because we're living uh, absent from this life and we're we're all worried about eternity. But the truth of who Jesus is is that he wants to bring eternal life into you right now that you wouldn't be concerned about your future destination because you would have a better test than whether or not I raised my hand that one time or whether I repeated that prayer. And I'm not saying that any of that is bad. We can raise our hands, we can say a prayer, but it is so much more than that to be surrendered to Jesus. What is the test that I think that we should have? Not the the date that we raised our hand. Those are important and those are powerful and I'm not dismissing those at all. But if you want to know, is eternal life present in you? Are you going to be able to move into eternity with Christ in the future? Then let's not worry about whether we made this interaction in a church on a Sunday, but let's worry about whether rivers of living water are flowing out from within us. That's what eternal life looks like. Not a checkbox on a date, but an everyday life where Holy Spirit is flowing out of you, encountering every single person that you interact with. You will have no doubt about your destination in the future because the reality of the future will be present in every interaction in this time and in this place. That's how you know if you're saved. That's how you know if you're set apart. Religion says check a box, but this relationship that Jesus is asking us into is to say, I want you to come and be fully alive in me and fully alive through me. That's God In you, what is within you would manifest around you. That you would shift, supernaturally shift environments and shift opportunities and walk in the fullness and that friendships and neighborhoods and workplaces and marriages and relationships and on down the list would be changed because of Emmanuel through you and the Holy Spirit alive in you. He wants to make himself known. He wants to step out of this place where people fear him because they don't know him and they don't understand him. He wants to tangibly be able to step out past that fear and put hands on people and make himself known to those who need his touch, who need to hear his voice, who need to hear his joy and feel his hope and experience his peace and his assurance to people to no longer be afraid of God because he's called us sons and daughters, and he's called us his friends. And that's the message that we get to carry and bring to people in Christmas and all throughout the year. That is what we carry. Christ in us, Colossians 1.27. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of reconciliation. Christ in you, the hope of forgiveness. Christ in you, the hope of restored marriages. Christ in you, the hope of restored families. Christ in you, the hope of reconciliation where sinners would turn to a loving God and be set right. Christ in you, the hope of fragmented minds being made whole. Christ in you, the hope of broken hearts being made whole. Christ in you, the hope of broken bodies being made whole. He wants to come live through us. Emmanuel, not only Emmanuel to us, but Emmanuel around us because he's alive in us. Let me pray for you guys. I've taken a little bit of extra of your time today, but if there's ever a service where I can get away with taking extra time, it's Jesus' birthday. <laughs> Happy birthday, Jesus. Let me close your eyes. I want to ask you a question. After I just said that it doesn't matter whether you raise your hand in church or not, I want you to do this as if, as if you're creating or painting a target on your life for Jesus to come and fill you in this holiday season. Ephesians talks to us about our relationship with Jesus, with Holy Spirit and it says that we would be being filled; that it would simply be an ongoing position in our life of complete surrender. That, like we would be a hose, that we are that we are connected to the source that is always turned on. And that as a hose, that that life and that water would be flowing out of us continuously. When you turn on your hose, you understand that you don't turn it on for a second and turn it off and say, oh, that's enough water to water my entire lawn and do all of my gardening. You leave the water on. And that's the picture that Ephesians paints for us of our relationship with Holy Spirit, that we would be being filled. God came, and we believed that he was a God who was far off. That wasn't enough for him, so he came to show us that he is God with us, and that still wasn't enough for him because he wants to be a God that is within us, and I want to pray for you guys, every single one of you in this room that would say, I want my life to be a conduit this Christmas season for rivers of living water to flow out of me, that I want to say yes to Jesus and say, Jesus, fill me so that Christ in me is the hope that my family needs. Christ in me is the hope that my city needs. Christ in me is the hope that my school needs. Christ in me is the hope that my marriage needs. Christ in me, that we would say, here, fill me. Jesus, come. Emmanuel to me. Emmanuel through me. Would you simply, with nobody looking around, would you raise your hand so I can pray with you and for you, and that this would be a declaration of saying, God, come and fill me and use me. Keep your hands up. As we raise our hands, God, as we raise our hands, we're raising our hands saying we surrender to you and we receive all that you are. We stay connected to you in this holiday season and beyond. That our reality would be a a people who are filled with you and continuously filled with you and that we would be living out of that overflow of your spirit that our recognition of eternal life wouldn't be that we checked religious boxes so that we can someday be saved, but our reality of of a relationship with you would be that we are spirit-filled people, and the river of your life and the river of your love is flowing out of us in such a way that there could be no doubt whether or not we're connected to our Father or not. And when we step from this life into eternity, it would simply be a transition Because we're alive in you here and we'll be alive in you there. And we call on your life to come and fill us powerfully today here in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.